Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Good to see you all. Who is very excited to receive an uplifting, motivating word from God today? Well, I hate to tell you then, you've come to the wrong place. I've got a hard word for you. Today's gonna be a wonderfully painful day for you. I love you with all my heart. This is a great church and I'm glad to be here. And we at the Trinity Church for the better part of this year have been going through John's gospel. And this week I was supposed to teach in John chapter 13. And, uh, and I'm gonna do that here and we're gonna live stream it back to my home church. For most of you, I'm not your pastor. Someone else has that great and tremendous honor. But today I'm asking you to give me a great courtesy and favor. And for 40 minutes, just let me be your pastor for a little bit. And I wanna enter in with you looking at this intersection of the most terrific person in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, and the most tragic person in the history of the world, Judas Iscariot. If you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 13. We're gonna receive a word from God by opening the word of God. And I want you to consider this for a moment. Imagine that you know that you have less than a week to live. Imagine that you are not sick, you are healthy and well. And the reason that you are going to die is because a pretend friend of yours, a betrayer, has for a few years been plotting against you. They have a plot to murder you. And that you are then coming face to face with that person on the final days of your life. This is someone that you have loved. This is someone that you have served. This is someone that you have been generous and kind toward. And this is someone who toward you has been nothing but a pretend friend. Some of you know the pain of betrayal. Some of you have had it in your marriages, in your friendships, with your children, with your parents, with your spouse, with your coworker, with your business partner. In John chapter 13, I want you to see exactly what it means when the Bible says that Jesus loves us. And so we'll pick up this amazing story in John chapter 13 where we learn that Jesus loves his enemies. John 13, one through five. Now before the feast of Passover, so this is a holiday season. For you and I, when the holidays come, these are generally joyful occasions. We get time off of work. Think Christmas, think Easter, think your birthday. It's a happy time. It's supposed to be a joyful time. People come together, they break bread, they make memories. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, he is here in the storyline of John's gospel in the last week of his life, the last days of his life. That, he, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved, there's our theme, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Judas at this point has already made a pact with Satan. He's already made a covenant with the devil that he is going to betray Jesus. The price will fulfill the prophecy in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, 30 pieces of silver. That's a few hundred bucks. Each one of us needs to ask ourselves, what would I exchange my relationship with Jesus for? 
Sex, money, fame, power, glory, independence, autonomy, comfort. For Judas, it was a few hundred bucks. Judas has already made his decision on how he is going to treat Jesus. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, was gonna betray him. How many of you have a son? This is the only time that this man's name appears in the Bible. And it's that he raised a son who betrayed Jesus. I pray for us and let us pray for our sons and daughters that we do not raise children whose legacy is betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. My 12-year-old son Gideon is here with me today and if my name only showed up once in the Bible and it was to remind all of humanity for all of history that he betrayed Jesus, I would be a broken man for all eternity. You men who are here today, it's not just you, it's your children and your children's children. You men, you need to be thinking in terms of legacy and lineage, your fathers, your patriarchs, and you will raise up sons and daughters. And I know that oftentimes it is the women who go to church, it's the women who love the Lord, it's the women who serve the Lord, and oftentimes the husband is absent. We need you men to be present, to raise and love your sons and daughters in the Lord. If you don't raise your child, they will just automatically enter into a covenant with Satan and betray Jesus. You're fighting against gravity. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that his time had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. First, let me talk a little bit about Jesus and Judas. Judas appears about 20 times in the New Testament. Every time his name appears, it's in conjunction usually with the other disciples. And his is always named last because it goes from most to least important. Peter, Peter is always named first. You're gonna meet Peter and see Peter in just a moment. Question, was Jesus a good friend to Judas? Yes. Did Jesus serve Judas? Yes. Did Jesus love Judas? Yes. Did Jesus feed Judas? Yes. Was Jesus there when Jesus preached his sermons? Yes or no? Yes. Was he there when Jesus did his miracles? Yes or no? Yes. Judas Iscariot had a privileged seat in the history of the world to witness the person and work, the words and the deeds of Jesus. Some of you are here today and you say, I, I don't love Jesus, I don't follow Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, but if I could meet him, if I could hear him teach, if I could see him work, then I would. If your heart is hard, no, you would not. No one had a better seat to learn who Jesus is and to see what Jesus does than Judas. He ultimately is going to betray Jesus with a kiss some of you have done the same to your spouse. He is then going to hand Jesus over to be executed, murdered. Then he is going to hang himself and go to hell. When someone dies, we like to say they're fine now. They went to a better place. Not everyone does. 
Heaven is not just a place, it's a person. His name is Jesus. If you don't love him, you're not gonna be in the same place that he is forever. Jesus speaks of hell more than anyone else in the Bible. You need to know this. For those who love Jesus, this life is as close to hell as you will be. For those who do not love Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as you will be. Judas gives us this negative example, this horrifying story. And we can look at this one of two ways, religiously or repentantly. If we look at it religiously, we say, what a horrible man, thank you God, I'm not like him. Or we could look at it repentantly and say, God, am I prone to follow in his example and to suffer his fate? Please save me from myself. Jesus not only saves us from hell, he saves us from ourselves. He saves us from ourselves. Judas is unwilling to be saved. Six lessons from Judas. Number one, sometimes you bear no responsibility for a person who betrays you, wrecks their life, and shipwrecks their faith. Some of you know exactly what it's like to love someone like Jesus loved Judas and to see them go on a path of self-destruction and utter devastation. They are drinking themselves to death, they are addicted, they are out of control, their life is self-destructive and you are watching it and you love them. And to be sure, it is reasonable to ask the question, what else could I have said? What else could I have done? In the example of Judas and Jesus, there's nothing else that could have been said. There's nothing else that could have been done because Jesus is perfect, amen? And Jesus had a perfect relationship with Judas. Some of you today, I wanna unburden you. If the Holy Spirit gives you conviction that in a relationship you have contributed to someone's pain, I want you to own that, repent of that, move forward. But for some of you, there are people that you love and they are destroying themselves and you are carrying a burden that is not your burden to bear. Number two, sitting under good Bible teaching is not enough, you have to believe it. Judas Iscariot for three years went to the University of Jesus Christ. Every class he took was taught by Jesus Christ. Every lesson he learned came from the lips of Jesus Christ. Every question he asked was answered by Jesus Christ. And he didn't believe any of it. One of the reasons I love coming here is your pastor is one of the finest living Bible teachers in our country today. Okay, I told him that yesterday. I wanna publicly honor Pastor John and Pastor Debbie completing the entire New Testament. Yes. Most people haven't read it, let alone preached it. Yeah. But let me remind you of another line of scripture. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pastor John can get you into the word of God, but you need to make sure that the word of God gets into you. Judas' problem was not information, it was transformation. Because knowledge puffs up and love builds up. He didn't love Jesus. I know you receive good Bible teaching here, but do you receive it? Do you love Jesus? Is it for information or transformation? If you don't do what the word of God says, then you're self-deceived like Satan himself, who is not only a deceiver, but is self-deceived. Number three, 
The church has wheat and tares. Jesus tells us this. As I was driving in, I saw something that we don't have in Scottsdale, Arizona, grass and greenery, okay? We have uh, cactus and uh, nothing. That's what we have. Um, I always say in Scottsdale, Arizona, during the summer, you can't scare them with hell. And during the winter, you can't invite them to heaven. They're like, I, during the winter, we live in heaven. And during the summer, we live in hell. The June, July, August, I call them the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. Those three months, <laughs> they unleash the flames of hell on the earth is what they do for us. But what Jesus says is there are wheat and tares, meaning as you look out at a field, one of the fields even as we drove in today, sometimes you'll see crops and weeds growing together. And you're not sure, is that a crop or is that a weed? So it is in the church of Jesus Christ. Some people would look at the disciples and say, well, look at Judas, uh, he was a real hypocrite. No, he wasn't, he was an unbeliever. And sometimes it's hard for us to know. I'm sure for the disciples, this was a stunning moment. In just a moment, they're gonna realize who Ju Judas truly is. Really, he's been with us. He was a member of our little church. He was a leader, he went to Bible college, went to seminary, spoke in tongues, memorized verses. Judas works for Satan? Yes. Wheat and weeds sometimes grow in the same field. That's why Jesus says, let me sort it all out at the end. In the meantime, our job is to love everybody as Jesus did. Number four, your heart follows your wallet. Judas is the CEO, he is the CFO, he is the bookkeeper for the ministry of Jesus. The entire time, the Bible reveals elsewhere that he has been stealing from the ministry account. Jesus knew this. I believe that hard words produce soft people and that soft words produce hard people. So I'm gonna give you a hard word. How much have you stolen from Jesus? How much have you stolen from Jesus? How much belongs to him have you kept for yourself? See, Judas's problem was he saw it was his money, not Jesus' money. And as a result, he took what belonged to Jesus. And you and I are all prone to the same thing. We need to be very careful that as we look at Judas, we don't say, thank you, God, I'm not like that. Jesus tells a parable where a guy says that very thing and that's his problem. When we look at the story, we see Jesus and Judas and we have to ask ourselves, am I Jesus or Judas in the story? And the answer is, you're never Jesus, amen? You're never Jesus. If you read the Bible and you're like, there's Jesus, reminds me of me. You've read it wrong, okay, you've read it wrong. <laughs> Jesus tells us this way, where your treasure is, your what will be? Your heart. Some people say, as soon as I get my heart right, I'll get my money right. Jesus says, actually, you get your money right, then your heart, because it's a lot easier to straighten out your finances than it is your heart. You could straighten out your finances a lot quicker than your heart. And one way to straighten out your heart is to first straighten out your finances. Judas was not a giver, he was a taker. And if God can get you to give, he can also get you to forgive. Giving will transform you. Judas was not transformed in part because he was not a giver. And he didn't understand giving and he didn't understand forgiving. So the man who did not give to the Lord was not forgiven by the Lord. He didn't understand giving and forgiving. Number five, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can fake it. I heard a few wives just chuckle, their husbands did not. Let me revisit this point. <laughs> you cannot lose your salvation, but you can fake it. There is a debate in church and that is, did Judas lose his salvation? 
No, he just faked it. Some of you are like that. Judas went to church, you're in church. Judas learned the Bible, you've learned the Bible. Judas was in relationship with godly people, you're in relationship with godly people. My job is not to judge you, but Paul tells the Corinthians that we should judge ourselves. So I would give you the gavel today. Put yourself on trial and ask yourself, do I love the Lord Jesus Christ or am I faking it? Am I faking it? Judas faked it for three years. Number six, the most important day of your life is the last day. Judas had some great days. He saw Jesus in the storyline of John's gospel turn water into wine. He saw Jesus feed thousands with a little boy's lunch. He saw Jesus water ski without a boat. That's awesome, right? He saw Jesus heal people without a copay or a deductible. Free healthcare, that's why they liked him. Judas at this point has had an amazing life. He has stories that he can tell. On this day, I saw this. On this day, we did that. The worst day of his life was the last day. The most important day of your life is the last day. Because that's the day that launches you into eternity. Are you ready for the last day? I know this life seems long, but in 10 million years, this life will seem very short. Three lessons from Jesus. Number one, love is sometimes an emotion, but it's always an action. Love is sometimes what you feel, but it's always what you do. How do we know that Jesus loves him? Well, it says, um, having loved them, here's what he did. He served them. Husbands, fathers, I need you to hear this. Wives, mothers, I need you to hear this. Leaders, employers, I need you to hear this. Love is what you do. We live in a world where a guy will say, I love pizza, the Yankees, and my girlfriend, and then sleep with her while eating pizza and watching the Yankees. And none of that is love, amen? None of that is love. Love is what you do out of concern for the well-being of the beloved. Here's what Jesus does. He serves them. Let me say this today. Jesus is still serving people. Jesus fed them, he's been feeding you. Jesus housed them, he's been housing you. Jesus has protected them, he's been protecting you. Jesus has provided for them, he's been providing for you. Even if you are here, believer or unbeliever, there are 11 believers in this story, the disciples and one unbeliever, Judas, Jesus has loved and served them all. Jesus is good, he still loves and serves all, but it doesn't mean that things are okay. Some of you would say, I'm, hey, I got a job, I'm healthy, my life is good. I, don't, I think God is pleased with me. He, you know, I'm, doing, I, I'm not a good person, I'm not a godly person, but you know what? I feel God's blessing on my life, things must be fine. Maybe God is fine with me. He wasn't fine with Judas, he may not be fine with you. He just may be loving and serving you, giving you an invitation for a heart change. Number two, Jesus does what no one else will do. Philippians 2 talks about his humility. Jesus lived in glory. He's eternal God. He was seated on a throne, the Bible says, served by angels. That's quite a staff, amen? I mean, some of you, you're like, I got an assistant. Do they have wings? That's amazing, amen? Okay, so Jesus is seated on a throne in heaven 
and the angels serve him day and night. They don't even take time off for coffee. Jesus gets off of his throne, comes down to the earth. That's humility. At dinner with his disciples, he gets off of his seat and he gets down on his knees to serve. He does what no one else does. In that culture, the way it would work is you would not necessarily pick a school, you would pick a teacher. And they would take you in in a mentoring relationship. That's the relationship that Jesus had with the 12 disciples. And the student's job was to serve the master. And they would do any task except for one, wash the feet. That job was reserved for the lowest ranking slave. In that day, they had Pax Romana, Roman peace, the road system. As you travel on foot, you would have disgusting feet. Dirt and dung from the animals would be all over your feet. If you came into someone's house, it would be customary that the lowest ranking slave in the house would have the unpleasant duty of cleaning the feet of the guests. The disciples were too proud to do this job, but Jesus was humble enough to do this job. He gets down, to, he came from heaven to earth and he goes from his seat to the floor to what? To serve. To scrape the dung and the dirt off of the people that he created to worship him. And he washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. This is one of the reasons I know that the Bible is not constructed and written by just human beings. No one could conceive of a humble, serving, loving God. No one could conceive of a God who would not only make the earth and put humanity on it, then have humanity betray him, then enter into the earth, joining humanity, and then walking, not being carried like a king, to a place for a dinner that he is hosting and paying for to train people who are too proud to do the job of a slave so that he would get down on his knees and wash the feet of his betraying enemy. I have good news for you. Jesus is still serving people. Jesus is still loving his enemies, inviting them to be his friends. If you're here today, you say, what I have done is horrible. Jesus is willing to serve you, my friend. My needs are great. Jesus is willing to serve you, my friend. The help I need from God, it's embarrassing and disgusting. Jesus is willing to serve you. And let me tell you this, Jesus has loved you even more than he loved Judas. And the Bible says this, that we are by nature objects of wrath. We are by nature enemies of God. Because we are sinners, we all start in the same position as Judas Iscariot, as enemies of God. And God loves his enemies. And he takes enemy and he makes him family. That's how wonderful Jesus is. You know what? He got, he got off of his seat to serve Jesus, but he got off of his throne to serve you. He got on the floor to serve Judas, but he got on the cross to serve you. And he poured out water for Judas, but he poured out his blood for you. 
Before we can understand the truly great news of who Jesus is and what he does, we need to understand the bad news of who we are and what we've done. The story continues. And that is that Jesus makes you clean. When he came to Simon Peter, here's another disciple. Some of you are more like Peter. You don't have an inner voice. All you have is an outer voice, right? He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's specializing in the obvious. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. As soon as Jesus tells you you don't understand, that's a good time to be quiet, amen? <laughs> not to be like, well, I wanna talk about this. He's like, I just told you, you don't know what you're talking about, but I'll listen. How many of you identify with Peter? Here's the key with Peter. Some of us are like Peter. Peter always got it right the second time. That's Peter, amen? <laughs> You're like, I always get it right the 17th time, no matter what, I'm very dependable. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. See, some of you, Jesus comes to serve you and you think you're humble because you serve others, but you're too proud to be served. Humility is not just serving, it's also being humble enough to be served. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He's like, well, I can wash your feet or you can go to hell. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but <laughs> what I love about Jesus, he's real clear. Plan A, clean feet. Plan B, it's gonna stink for you forever. It's gonna, he's gonna be hot. So Peter, being a real genius, Lord, not only my feet also, but my hands and feet. How many of us, Jesus comes to serve us, we say no, and then we say, okay, Jesus, you can serve me, but let me dictate the terms of your service. You can serve me if you do it this way. There's hope for Peter, there's hope for you, amen? This is why we love Peter so much. Like, if he made it, I might. Yay, there's hope for me, amen? Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Let me give you three lessons from Peter. Peter is overt, Judas is covert. Peter, you always know what he's thinking. Judas, you never know what he's thinking. Peter, you always know what he's doing. Judas, you never know what he's doing. How many of you are like Judas? You're covert. If you would have just gone to the disciples up until this point and said, okay, somebody's gonna betray Jesus, who would it be? They'd probably say, Peter, he's impetuous. Not, Judas hasn't said anything, hasn't done anything. He's covert, not overt. Some of you are like that. You have secret lives, you have secret plots, you have secret sins. You won't come clean, you need to be caught. That's Judas. There's hope for those who are overt, like Peter, far more hope than there is for those who are covert, like Judas. Things are gonna work out okay for Peter because he, here's who I am and where I'm at. Well, we can work with that. Judas, you will not know who I am or where I'm at. I am covert, I am sneaky, I am deceptive, I am dishonest. I would encourage you, be like Peter, faults, flaws, and all. Don't be like Judas, hiding until it's too late and destruction has come for you.
Number two, the want to precedes the how to. Jesus says, I'll make you clean. Peter says, I wanna be clean, but he doesn't know how to do it. Some of you are here today and people have told you, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. They've given you the how to, but here's your problem, you don't have the want to. The want to precedes the how to. If somebody meets with me and says, I wanna love my wife, okay, well, we can do that. But I can give you 75 things to do to love your wife, and if you don't want to, all the how to means nothing to you. So for you who are here today with me, thank you for the honor of teaching you the Bible and offending you and taking some of your time. But do you want to? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your deepest desires, your God-given desires, your Holy Spirit-given desires are the desires of God. They will fight and war against lesser desires that the Bible calls temptation. But if you wanna love God, if you wanna learn the Bible, if you wanna forgive people, if you wanna have healthy relationships, if you wanna live obedient to God, God will teach you how to. But you need to check your own heart whether or not you have the want to. Number three, our defective default is to try and make ourselves clean. Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, I'll make you clean. Peter says, that's okay, I'll make myself clean. This is what we call religion. Religion is man's way of cleaning ourselves up in the sight of God. Different religions will have different procedures and processes by which to cleanse yourself, reincarnate, pay off your karmic debt, go to a sacred place, get down on your prayer mat, face these three times a day, give a certain amount, wear the sacred underwear, everybody's got their thing. But it's all the same in that it is me trying to clean up me. Here's what Jesus says, I make you clean. This is why I got on a plane, this is why I flew here, and I believe this is why I'm here with you today. So I'd ask your listening. Most Christians know that Jesus forgives, but they don't know that Jesus also cleanses. So as a result, God's people will live with condemnation, shame, and guilt. The Bible calls this defilement. Here it's called being dirty or unclean. The Bible uses some dozen words, defilement, uncleanness, filth. Some of you feel dirty. Some of you feel gross. Some of you feel like damaged goods. Some of you feel ashamed. Some of you feel guilty. Some of you feel condemned for one of two reasons. Either what you have done is disgusting. It's dirty. It's filthy. Or number two, what was done to you by someone else was disgusting, it was dirty, it was filthy. We know that when we sin, Jesus forgives us, but oftentimes we don't know what to do when someone sins against us. We could forgive them, but we still feel defiled, we feel unclean. Uh, as a young pastor in my mid-20s, I think I was 25 as a senior pastor, 
I met with a gal who was very self-destructive in her life choices, very promiscuous. And I asked her, I said, why, why do you do this? She said, quote, I'm a dirty girl. I said, who told you that? She said, my grandpa, after he did things. She carried this identity of defiled, unclean, dirty. Um, <clears throat> my best friend, Grace, um, she's talked about this publicly, but um, she's a sexual assault victim before I met her. The first sexual assault victim in the Bible is in Genesis 34. It's a young woman named Dinah. Here's what it says. She was defiled. Because of my brave wife telling her story, we've been able to minister to a lot of people that have endured the same thing. Every person I've ever talked to, particularly the ladies, after an assault tells me that they all did the same thing. What is it? They took a shower. Do you know why? They wanna be clean. Some of you have been trying to clean up your life and you have not yet allowed Jesus to clean up your life. That's Peter's problem. Jesus, I'm defiled, I'm unclean, I'm dirty, I'm filthy, but it's okay, I'll fix me. Jesus says, no, that's why I'm here. I have really good news for you. Jesus not only forgives sin, he cleanses from unrighteousness. I want that identity off of you. I want that burden off of you. I want that shame and guilt and condemnation. I want that false identity taken from you. Elsewhere, the same author says it this way. Because see, some of you are like Genesis 3. Our first parents sin, they're naked, they have no shame, they sin, they experience shame. Fig leaf, hide, you can't know me. Hide from God, hide from others. For some of you, this is your life. You're pretending you're someone you're not, you're hiding what you've done. You don't get close to God or others because there's a lot of shame and guilt and defilement because of either what you've done or what's been done to you by someone else. This is a great day for you. The truth will set you free. Here's the truth, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. So here's the deal. Whatever you've done, Jesus Christ forgives you. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ lived the life you have not lived. He went to the cross to die the death that you should have died. He came to humble himself. He came to serve you. He forgives you when Jesus prays Father, forgive them. He then dies to answer his prayer and Jesus died in your place for your sins. And my friend, if you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven past, present, and future, fully, totally, completely forgiven. And purify us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. 
You, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you're not forgiven and dirty, you're forgiven and clean. Many of you know that you're forgiven, but you don't know that you're clean. You can have a clean relationship with God, a clean relationship with your spouse, a clean relationship with your past, a clean relationship even with your enemies. Who you were is not who you are in Christ. And who you will be in 10 million years is not who you were 10 years ago. Here's what Jesus says. You, I'm just quoting Jesus. You and 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 you, you, here's what Jesus says, are, not will be, not might be, can be, you are clean. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would right now make this a reality in the hearts of the hearers. Holy Spirit, please reveal to the people the places where they have carried guilt, shame, condemnation, defilement, where the enemy has attacked them, where he has discouraged them, where he has formed for them a hopeless future because of an unchanging identity. Holy Spirit, please bring to mind right now that thing that is holding your children back, that thing that they have done. And maybe they did it last night. Maybe they did it this morning. Lord, that thing that was done to them. Lord God, we know that time does not heal all wounds. In fact, time heals no wounds. Only time in the presence of God heals any wound. So Lord Jesus, it is the time for us to bring these things into your presence that they might be healed. Unburden, Lord, encourage, refresh, nurture those who are able to hear this word. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence. We ask for your power. We ask for your provision to apply to us the glorious work of Jesus. For those who are like Judas, it is not too late for them. There is still breath in their lungs, so there is hope for their soul. Lord Jesus, for those of us who are like Peter, we know we're dirty and and we just, we try to fix it and we make a mess of our own life. Thank you that it ends well for him and I pray that it would end well for us. Lord Jesus, there's no one like you. There's no one. That you would make enemy into family. So we come here saying thank you for taking we who are enemy, coming down to serve us and make us family. Holy Spirit, please cleanse. Holy Spirit, please encourage. Holy Spirit, please unburden. Holy Spirit, please comfort these dear, precious people for whom Jesus came to die and give them new life, life that is marked by not only forgiveness of sin, but cleansing from unrighteousness. I pray for clean relationships with you. I pray for clean marriages. I pray for clean internet searches. I pray for clean relationships. I pray for clean business dealings. I pray for clean parenting. I pray, I pray, Lord, for cleansing. Fresh start. Clean. Unburdened. Joyful. Hopeful life for these dear, precious people. And we ask for it in Jesus' good name.
Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.